Jim Calloway. And I'm Sharon Nelson. This is the 12th edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. Today, our topic is Dancing in the Minefield, Outsourcing EDD Review Abroad. You know, Jim, there are a lot of forms of legal process outsourcing, which is, is known as LPO. And I confess, I didn't even know this term until about a year ago when I began seeing it. And LPO has now become a complete industry unto itself. You can outsource anything, of course. You can outsource administrative tasks. You can outsource patent renewals. There are all sorts of things you can outsource. But I think the controversy that we've seen in the last few months particularly is about outsourcing EDD review. And it's caused a very famous case by the name of Newman, which we're going to discuss later, to be brought up in the courts, uh, which has since been dismissed or rather withdrawn. We'll probably see more of that case later on. But we've also seen just a whole heck of articles all over the place talking about whether it's ethical to do this outsourcing abroad, what security measures you need in place. And of course, and to segue into something I think you wanted to talk about, first and foremost, we now have a new ABA opinion on this issue. Yes, ma'am. Way back when I practiced law, and LPO was a loss prevention officer. That was the undercover <laughs> security officer that worked in malls. So that may date me a little bit on yeah. this topic. You and me both. <laughs> ABA formal opinion 08-451 was released on August 5th, 2008. And it generally covers the lawyer's obligations when outsourcing legal and non-legal support services. And of particular interest that we're not going to cover today was the fact that many small firm lawyers now operate on a contract basis. And I think they were relieved that ABA opinion doesn't do anything to limit their ability to do that. But the thrust of what we want to talk about today is outsourcing when you want to outsource overseas. The ABA opinion notes that, that it makes sense to outsource sometimes. You may not need to employ as full-time staff the number of people required to handle, for example, a large discovery and intensive matter. And so there's nothing unethical or problematic about outsourcing. But the problem with outsourcing overseas generally is to make sure that the tasks are delegated to people who, who can competently perform them. And then how do you oversee a project when you've outsourced it overseas, maybe in a completely different time zone? And so the ABA opinion lists several things that might be considered. And once you add them together cumulatively, it becomes quite a list. But such things as reference checks and background checks and if you're dealing with an agency that hires the lawyers rather than a law firm directly with a service provider, what their hiring practices are, security of the provider's premises, and even, you know, lawyers in certain countries don't have the same, some countries don't have the same training or professional regulatory system that we have. Even a country may handle things differently, as we'll discuss a little bit later, things like a search and seizure and, and whatever. So I think this opinion clearly opens the door or leaves the door open, I think would be more accurate for outsourcing. But there's a lot of uh, details, as that saying goes, Sharon, the devil's always in the details. Well, I, th I thought there were a lot of hurdles to jump. I, I wasn't sure that a small or mid-sized firm would feel very comfortable about jumping all these hurdles. I can see where the big firms would feel more comfortable and have more experience and breadth in order to be able to do this. But I thought this might be fairly intimidating for a solo or small firm. What, what do you think about that, Jim? 
Oh, I definitely think if, if a small firm lawyer is trying to outsource this type of thing, I think the short answer may be that more of them will be comfortable outsourcing to a licensed attorney in the U.S. because that clears most of the hurdles just by maintaining it within the U.S. So I, I think that's true. On the other hand, we're still at the infancy of this new industry and, and things will evolve. They, they will. You know, in fact, I was amused to hear one of the LPO companies told me that they had a solo attorney in the United States who was actually outsourcing the writing of his blog to India. Isn't that amazing? That's pretty interesting. <laughs> and a lot of the issues re relate to, you know, government interception of data and these type of things. Sharon, have you, have you thought about how that works, you know, if we're shipping this all overseas electronically from the beginning? Well, as you know, I'm fairly cynical about what the federal government does and doesn't do with respect to interception. It occurs to me that this is one of the issues that the ABA did not address, and it would be interesting to see them address it. Government interception, once you're outside of the United States and it's not an American or a United States citizen communicating with a United States citizen, once you've got anybody, a foreign source, whether it's a receiver or a transmitter, I think that we're going to have some problems potentially with interception, and that does concern me. I'm not so concerned necessarily that privilege will be held waived by the courts, things like that, because after all, the companies who are large, they have to communicate with their foreign offices all the time, so going back and forth like that would would not waive any privilege. On the other hand, I'm simply concerned about what the government knows, when it knows it, why it knows it, and, and what it intends to do with the information. Uh, so I worry a lot about the, the interception, and I really haven't seen anything very solid written about this, this particular feature of EDD review abroad. So it's, it's still, still a new area. Well, for example, one of the things that the ABA referenced in, in the opinion is perhaps there's a need to actually visit the site to determine for oneself that proper security and safeguards are in place. But for many of us, that would be a significant undertaking both in time and financial resources, maybe even overriding the savings from outsourcing on less than the huge job. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I gather that the lar large firms have been going over there quite often, and occasionally, I guess, if there's a really, really big project, they'll, they'll sponsor someone to come over and visit the site. But it, that's intimidating, again, for anything but a large firm, I think, to do. And, and another one of the, the things that the opinion addresses is data security and physical security. I think that the large LPO firms are doing this very well. The trouble is you've got all these startups, not just in India. We're talking, of course, about many other places. But India has been probably the one who has seized this horse and run with it. But they have some companies that are kind of located in the basements of buildings and don't have a lot of infrastructure, and so it's very, very difficult to secure data in that kind of a setting, and, and they just, people have not really looked at what the control factors are. There are, in the best situations, you have physical control, you've got security guards, you've got cameras, you have uh, disabled uh, USB ports, all sorts of measures that are in place to make sure 
that there isn't some kind of data breach, data leak going out. Also, of course, they do background checks on folks. They, they have content management systems. They have filters. They have access control. There's just a whole number of things that they put in place to make sure that the data doesn't get out from the LPO. And in fact, that it isn't even shared necessarily within the LPO, uh, except to the extent it needs to be. But that is a huge issue, especially for law firms, which don't particularly have a very keen understanding of computers and high-tech security and don't, for instance, perhaps understand the significance of having biometric access, uh, things like that, because that just hasn't been a part of their world. And, and we mentioned earlier lawyer training. As we know, some countries, a, a lawyer is, is able to call themselves with a lawyer with a minimum of, tr of training. And yet, even if we assure that the lawyers are are capable and well-trained and well-screened, uh, how well will they be trained in terms of handling special data with particular concerns with the United States? Uh, HIPAA jumps out to you, Sarbanes-Oxley, all the different sets of regulations. So I know you, you visited with one of the large law firms that talked about literally spending hundreds of hours of classroom time just training their attorneys on specified U.S. laws. And so I think that's something that, that particularly with a startup or a smaller company, you have to be concerned about, again, depending on the type of data that you're shipping to them to be reviewed. The specialized data can present specialized problems, of course, and I do think that only the really established LPO companies you would want to have real confidence in that they can handle the this kind of data securely. Likewise, I think it's very important, as you mentioned earlier, to do background checks, to get references on the company, to ascertain the financial stability of the company, to get some sense of its assets and so forth. Like I said, there's a lot of these fly-by-night companies now developing in, in India in particular, so I would really look for a company that's been around for a while and has established a reputation and clearly has an infrastructure. I would be keen to look at their security security, both physical and data security, to make sure that I wasn't placing my data or my client's data uh, in an insecure position, because I think that's going to be a real issue for many of the new companies starting up there. And if you're the lawyer in charge of providing the legal services, it's incumbent on you to exercise appropriate supervision, Sharon. But sometimes that's going to be really problematic and the time involved in exercising the supervision may well cut into the, the savings to the client, which is one of the two prongs here. We're trying to save a little bit of money for the client and also allow the law firm to handle things that they wouldn't normally keep enough staff available to handle. So I think, I think that's one of the things that, you know, I work for a bar association and that's one of the things that's going to be very interesting as, as we move along this road is, is what is adequate supervision and how does that work? Well, I've noticed that in the larger cases, they usually will have a project manager in the United States who's actually directing some of what happens abroad, which is, I think, one way to handle it fairly well to make sure that there's someone here kind of watching over everybody's shoulders. But again, if it's not a large project, are you going to be, be able to afford to allocate those kind of resources? And I'm not entirely sure that that will work out that way. I'm also concerned about the laws of the individual countries. I happen to ask 
CPA Global, and I do want to thank them for all of the information they provided to me. They were uh, they were very helpful, and we, we in particular we spoke to Brandon Daniels and Stephen Kong of that company, and and they provided all sorts of information. But they also gave us something about the laws of India, and there. The chief law seems to be the Information Technology Act of 2000, and while it begins to address some of the concerns, just look at the year on the Act, 2000, and you already know that it isn't probably entirely up to speed. They also mentioned to me that they are working to modernize the laws and, and make them more harmonious with the United States privacy laws, but I don't know that they're fully there yet, and I'm certainly, I certainly don't think my friends were saying that they were, that they're moving in that direction, but it would be a matter of concern to me if those laws are not harmonious, and if, as a, as a, for instance, if a court can order that this data, for whatever reason, an Indian court can order that this data be turned over, that's a matter of some concern. Uh, I think that would be true in many cases, <laughs> but it really bothers us, or it bothers me and the commentators in this area that we don't know the laws. And there are some countries that specifically have blocking statutes where uh, data can't come back out, and that can be problematic as well. So as we move to the globalization of law, and as we know, that's become one of the hot topics uh, of the year, the globalization has meant that all of the countries who are involved in having these field offices and these regional things and, and these LPOs, they all have got to move to make sure that their laws are consistent with one another so that we can trust in doing business with one another without putting data at risk. Another interesting question is conflict checking. Uh, investment firms and, and, and a little bit later law firms had this concept of a Chinese wall, sort of a firewall within the firm to keep uh, certain people from having certain information. I, I don't know that we all really thought of it being a Chinese wall that may actually be in China now under these <laughs> new uh, scenarios. But dealing with the situation where a large firm may be processing information for both sides of a lawsuit or at least parties with adverse interest to something else that we're going to have to think about a little bit more. And, and I, I think that we, we can work through these issues, but uh, the more I read the ABA opinion over and over in preparation for this podcast as I related to you, the more I became convinced that there were probably more open questions still left to be decided about some of these things. I absolutely agree, and it struck me that most of the LPO companies, the opinions I've seen from them, they say there's no problem with handling the data on both sides of a case, but I'll tell you, it strikes me, strikes me that here uh, at Sensei, where we do computer forensics, if we're hired by one side of the case and the other side calls, and that happens with amazing regularity, we have to say, sorry, we're conflicted out. I don't know that we're mandated to do that. I don't know that we couldn't create a Chinese wall, but we've always felt that it just wasn't appropriate to do. So we haven't done it, and I'm not sure I see a whole heck of a lot of difference. So I would be very hesitant, certainly as a law firm, to put my data somewhere in India where I knew the other side's data was sitting in the same shop. It, it just would bother me. Would it bother you, Jim? It does at this point, just because the more you get involved in a case, the more you think about the implications of the data and, and what's going to be proved up in court and what's admissible. So obviously if it was just data processing in, in a raw sense, you wouldn't need to have lawyers involved exercising their independent judgment or, or legally trained people. So that bothers me. Another issue 
that was well covered in the ABA formal opinion is the idea of, of getting it, advising the client and whether the client needs to give consent. And I think that the ABA mentioned that they had some previous opinions that said the consent was not always required and the, and the client wasn't always entitled to notice that its legal work was being performed by a temporary lawyer. But they made a distinction in this case because the temporary lawyer was really similar to an employee. If you had a temporary lawyer who showed up at your place of business who was supervised directly by you, who could be fired for misconduct and all those types of things, then it really wasn't a relevant matter for the client to, to learn that this lawyer was being paid, uh, you know, without benefits or, or for a temporary basis. But in this outsourcing relationship, it seems a lot different. And generally speaking, I think the ABA's opinion says that we're going to have to let our clients know when we're outsourcing things, particularly overseas. And just like your rule may be above what's required on conflicts, I think the same thing uh, applies to this. I would just hate for a situation to ever become problematic and the client learn when it had become problematic that their data had been shipped overseas and that the law firm was outsourcing the data. So at this point, I think there's a, a good, clear reason to, to always tell your client that we outsource this. And it's usually pretty justifiable because you're usually outsourcing it to save the client uh, money. And, and Another... That, that, that's, I was just going to say that's a really good point. I know that uh, DuPont has uh, outsourced much of its EDD review to Phil the Philippines, and it has always trumpeted loudly how much money it has saved by doing that. So there are a good number of countries that are getting into this, this marketplace and, and doing very well at it. There's also the matter of marking up the bill, and the ABA kind of came up with an interesting distinction that if you are – billing it as legal services, then it's appropriate to mark up the bill somewhat so that you have some profit from handling the matter, Even, but, but the clear directive is that the total must still be a reasonable fee for the service the client receives. But then they distinguish disbursements. So if you want to get the bill directly from the outsourcing company and call it a disbursement, such as a process server or a filing fee or something like that, uh, it's prohibited to mark it up. So that's going to be something we need to pay attention to. Jim, Sharon, Jim, you Jim, Jim, you know they're going to mark it up. <laughs> well, you we know they're going to mark it up. inappropriately. <laughs> I'm sure they'll do it appropriately, but you know they're going to mark it up. And, and that is, I think that's going to be a huge issue over time. One, one of the things, and I, I'm sorry if I interrupted you, Jim, what, one of the things I know that we didn't get to talk about yet was costs, and it would probably interest our listeners to understand how much money you can really save because money makes the world go round, as we know. And basically they say if you're going to outsource EDD abroad, you're probably going to save uh, you're probably going to do it for 40 to 75 percent less than if it, if it were performed here in the United States. Now, of course, it matters where you are and who you are. If you're a big firm in New York, that's a lot different than a small firm in South Carolina. So there, there are some variants here, but that's a kind of a general rule. An estimate that you can give is that for every document in the United States, you spend seven to ten dollars per document for review, and probably one to three dollars per document when you're outsourcing it abroad. So you just have to look at the numbers to see why corporations are the ones who have led this charge. The corporations are 
just en masse beginning to go to the LPOs. The law firms have been a, a great deal slower, which of course is, is typical because we lawyers always tend to be the last to follow any charge, uh, especially when it involves technology. We're much more cautious about it, but Microsoft, I know, is a huge user of LPO, uh, as are many other major corporations, and the law firms are sniffing. So it's pretty clear that there's going to be a big movement because of the cost savings uh, to make the client happy, especially if they can mark it up appropriately, as they say on the end, and not lose. And one, one of the funny fringe benefits to this is that you might be able to get more grunt work off of the talent pool that's coming in and you might retain some of your talent because you're outsourcing the grunt work and you're able to give more interesting work to the talent that comes in. So you might retain those folks a little longer if they can cut their teeth earlier. We probably should have mentioned this earlier, but for lawyers who haven't been involved in this yet or don't have this type of practice, you should be aware that there are many U.S. lawyers now whose lives involve document review. Many of them work for temporary agencies or work on a contract basis for a law firm. And so there are literally lawyers who get paid much less than, than a premium rate and, and don't necessarily have benefits, but who spend all day reviewing documents for electronic discovery for weeks on end until a project's finished. And then maybe they take a week or two off and then take another assignment. So uh, I can imagine that that type of law practice would literally drive you and me crazy, but there are people who enjoy it for the predictability and mundaneness, I guess. Well, and, and they I've actually had some of them write me in response to my blog post basically saying, you're missing, they were telling me you're missing the boat. Forget about the ethical duties of the people who are outsourcing. I simply see this as competition. I'm losing my job here. And that was, that was I honestly, I had never thought about that, how many lawyers would be losing their jobs as contract attorneys uh, to the, the legal outsourcers abroad. So that, that really surprised me. Let, let's move for a moment to the Newman case, which we had referenced a little bit earlier. That case, which was filed earlier this year, alleged that the NSA was indiscriminately reviewing confidential data being communicated from the United States to foreign countries, and that LPO offshore providers cannot ensure 100% confidentiality of client information. Thus, the, the suit which was a, a suit for declaratory judgment, said that passing data to an LPO provider constituted a per se waiver of any applicable privilege and that therefore law firms had an, a corresponding obligation to tell clients that any communication between them will risk waiver. So it was an anti-outsourcing kind of suit. There was a lot of manipulation back and forth, a lot of shenanigans going on. Uh, some people felt like the Indian attorneys involved in the case ran rings around the plaintiff. I'm sure the plaintiff doesn't see it that way. They did eventually uh, withdraw the case, but they tell me, and, and again, this was in a response to a blog post. I'm always amazed by the power of the blog sphere, but one of the attorneys who was a plaintiff in the original case wrote that he was now going to refile as a class action and was collecting people who had actually been injured by uh, legal outsourcing abroad, uh, and, and that just was amazing to me. But I think the LPO companies feel like this, this argument is just really silly and that it comes down to the same standard, that of reasonableness, that as long as there is a reasonable uh, attempt to secure data, and in the case of the really good companies, I think their due diligence is very high. But then again, there are those fly-by-night companies, but reasonableness is, is the standard. So I don't know. What, what's your take on the Newman case, Jim? 
Well, I think it was interesting that in the response to you, they talk more about HIPAA information and how somebody's personal confidential medical information could be exposed or the uh, the privilege, uh, the medical privilege laws. So I, I just don't know about that. I, I'm a little bit uh, reminded of the book, The World is Flat by Thomas <laughs> Friedman. You know, we've built these huge pipes to Indian abroad that uh, have made transmission of data over there now pretty much cost-free. And so we're going to see more and more of this in our global economy. You know, we see lots of uh, interesting implications in the financial markets and other things because we're in a global economy. I don't think lawyers uh, can expect that that some of these things aren't going to impact us. And if something can be done cheaper overseas, it's going to be done overseas unless there is a clear restriction either from legal ethical authorities or statutory law saying it can't. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. And and one of the things I discovered uh, just by working with these folks at CPA Global, and again, I thank them for all the time and information they sent me, that particular company was founded in 1969 by patent attorneys. It basically was an IP outsourcing firm. So what was fascinating to me was that, you know, here was this company after all these years, and it really was only two years ago that they began to start the EDD review. So even an established company like this, this bandwagon didn't start really and didn't didn't catch fire until a couple of years ago and now they're up to uh, 30 plus attorneys who are doing nothing but EDD review and of course that number continues to grow but I think that as an example of the old guard who's been around for a while it's kind of fascinating to see how fast they're moving into this area and of course again I think it is probably very wise for people to look at the credentials of any outsourcing company from any country uh, to see how long they have been around, what they do have, the due diligence factors here. I just, I just don't think you can overstress them because uh, if you screw this up, you're, I think you're going to be in a whole lot of problems potentially. Well, and I, and I don't want to sound overly nationalistic, but it may be that some of our local document review attorneys find themselves pressured into lowering their rates to keep their share of the market, and, and that may be just a uh, one of the many outcomes of our global economy. Well, it's certainly been an interesting time, hasn't it, just in the, the last few days as we're recording this. Today, the Russian stock exchange suspended operation, and of course, we've heard nothing but bailouts here, there, and everywhere. So globalization in this economy is going to continue to prove interesting, that's for sure. And that's all, folks, for this edition of the Digital Edge, Lawyers and Technology. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Ms. Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy. <laughs>